Content warning. This episode contains discussions of violence and anti-Indigenous discrimination. For The Daily Princetonian, I'm Lena Kim, and you're listening to Daybreak. Today, listen into our discussion with Lily Shangro, class of 74, and Dan Bigby Jr., Emmy Award-winning co-producers of the documentary entitled The Osage Murders. On November 5th, assistant podcast editor Carrie Liang and I were able to meet with Lily Shangro, class of 74, and Dan Bigby Jr., owners of independent video production company Big Productions. In 2022, they won an Emmy Award for a 27-minute film they worked on for the Oklahoma Educational Television Authority. Shangro and Bigby were on campus on November 5th for a screening of their films at an event hosted by Native alumni of Princeton at the Carl A. Field Center for Equality and Cultural Understanding. Listen in to the conversation Carrie and I had with the co-producer which has been edited for length and clarity. So I guess to begin, um, could we please just go around and like introduce ourselves and um, like our role with this documentary and our uh, affiliations with the school? Okay, I'm Lily Shangru, class of 74, and I'm co-producer for the Osage Murders Reign of Terror documentary. My name's Dan Bigby, I'm co-producer with the documentary To provide some background info, the documentary focuses on the Osage people during the 1920s. At that time, they were the richest people in the world, as the tribe was sitting atop of a very lucrative oil field, one of the most profitable in U.S. history. However, this wealth meant that Osage tribal members were targeted by those who wanted the rights to oil wells and profits. Tribal members were found murdered and died under, quote, suspicious circumstances or were robbed for their oil money. Yeah, and this documentary must have taken a lot of research um, before even the shooting. And so I was wondering what that process looked like for you and how did you decide on what perspective of this issue you wanted to show? Let me speak to the perspective. Uh, For Native people, that perspective is pretty obvious. We approached it as tribal people ourselves. And... uh, the most important thing to all of us is our family. You ask any of us, the number one thing is our family. So our interest was, what happened to the families? You know, if Grandpa is murdered, what happens to the rest of the family? How does that trickle down? How does that go from generation to generation? And so that was our perspective in trying to explore what it, what it actually, what the damage really was. The research part. Well, we discovered the story doing something else and um, discovered that a friend of ours had written a book called A Pipe for February. His name was Charles Redcourt. And um, so I bought a copy and read it. And well, and I have Osage relatives. I mean, I'm not Osage myself, but I have relatives and in conversations with people, you know, they drop mentions of, you know, this reign of terror. and. Um, there was another book out by a man named Denny McAuliffe who wrote about the murder of his grandmother, Sybil Bolton. And um, so I bought that book and read it. Then I got a hold of uh, a book by an FBI agent who wrote, an FBI agent who was involved in it wrote a book and put together, you know, the sort of, it was awful, but it was, you know, it still had the facts and put together the chronology of things and showed me where I could find photographs. Then I discovered I could acquire the FBI files on it, on CD. So I did that and scanned, skimmed through those for a very long time because there was thousands of pages. Um, and then we, well, you know, talking to people, talking to Osage people, 
Um, I, uh, oh, when in photographs, we went to the White Hair Memorial, which is a museum in, in Osage County. We went to the Osage Museum in Pahuska and we visited the um, History Center in Oklahoma City, the State Historical Preservation, whatever they call it, office, and looking for anything, uh, photographs. And there, there were so many. There was video footage that we found, but we never got permission to use. Yeah, um, and I was wondering, was there anything that you didn't expect to learn that you found end up being really valuable to the process, or like um, something really interesting, or like a really, um, I guess, like a new perspective that this research process gave you? I think the, the surprise, if you will, uh, was how, how much power the political, the powers that be, the political powers that be, shut us down as we developed the program and they became aware that we were gonna do this. That was a surprise to me. Yeah. And that may be a naive perspective, but you know, that even in the 21st century, there were people that were very interested in keeping this swept under the rug. Yeah. So that's why 15 years later we finally finished it because we just couldn't get the backing to, to produce it for TV. And so, when you finally got to the shooting process that took place in various different settings, um, I was wondering how you decided on which locations you wanted to shoot at, um, and if you had like a favorite location. Oh, that all came out of the research. Yeah, and the people that were willing to talk to us. You know, we did a lot of shooting out there. Well, we, we, the Tallgrass Prairie is um, a reserve on in Osage County, and it's they've got buffalo, and it's one of the last known places where that tall prairie grass will grow. And at one time, in the Midwest, the description went something like, "Grass as tall as the buffalo's belly covers hundreds and thousands of miles," and that's that's why there were buffalo out there. Mm -hmm. But um, so we, I mean, just for the beauty of it, and then of course we shot uh, existing operating oil fields because that's what the money was all about and then people's homes yeah and this is a very like a very serious and solemn topic to cover did you guys have any concerns with um, when you guys were shooting and um, making sure you guys were capturing the perspective that you wanted to share oh always that goes into every piece we ever do depending on the subject yeah. uh, determine your approach and focus in on it and stick with it never lose sight because because it was a touchy subject for the people we were talking to there were people that wouldn't talk to us for fear of their lives still and so we had to be very cognizant of um, not putting them at risk or you know if they even a perceived risk um, I was just wondering how did you navigate exactly going through that process of like where to push and or lay off boundaries in terms of the research behind this documentary. What do you do when you run into a, an obstacle? Oh, well, you get creative. Well, yeah. And you, yeah. you work out different ways to, the important thing is to make sure that the information is in the show. As Native people, um, if we don't treat 
the Osages with respect. We're not going to ever work in any country again. I mean, nobody's going to want to talk to us. So, you know, it's a small world. It's, it's a really small world in Indian country. Mm -hmm. You know, we all know each other. He knows people that know me <laughs> and met separately. I mean, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, and word gets around. So if we don't do our job with the utmost respect, then we're not going to, you know, nobody's going to talk to us. What did you find to be the most rewarding part of shooting and producing this documentary? Just the fact that it actually got done, because we were stopped you know, in 2007 or 10 when we wanted to try to finish this, and we couldn't without money. Yeah, um, Lily, you're a Princeton alum, and specifically you are a Native alumni and also one of the first women to come to Princeton. Why do you think that this was an important story to share with the Princeton community? Well, <laughs> when I came here in 70, I felt like a zoo specimen because most people out here think we're gone. I mean, that was my, my feeling about well, most East Coaster, East Coast people. It's like, oh, we didn't know there were any Indians left. And so I think it's important that people hear our stories. To add more context to Lily's point, even today, less than 1% of students on campus identify as Native American, Native Alaskan, Native Hawaiian, or Native Pacific Islander. Yeah, and I guess finally, um, what is one takeaway that you wish the audience to have from this documentary? I want them to know this happened. There's lessons to be learned from. Another perspective on that, well, another point to that is, is it didn't just happen to the Osage, it happened to almost every Indian tribe in this country. Our land was taken. My tribe lost a gold mine. I mean, not that we'd have done anything with it. It, it, just, it just was taken without our permission and mind, and we never saw any royalties out of that. There was a, and it happened to other, other, other races as well, I mean, Tulsa, the Tulsa massacre. It's important to me that non-people of color know that this stuff happens and, it, and how do we stop it? I guess like um, following up from that, uh, what kind of steps can students here at Princeton or I guess anyone listening for that matter, um, how can they help spread awareness about these indigenous communities or underrepresented communities and, or become involved in helping them in any way? You're not going to get it in school. <laughs> You're going to have to self-educate right. to find out about these things if you have an interest at all. Um, read, go outside your circle of comfort to read or view or you know whatever. Mm -hmm. um, on a personal level, what I think is human beings, we have to take that responsibility and speak out about it and against it. This 27-minute documentary can be found on YouTube. This event was also sponsored by the Native Alumni of Princeton. Thanks to Lily Shangro and Dan Bigby Jr. for sharing their insights about creating this documentary. That's all for Daybreak today. Today's episode was written by me, sound engineered by Hope Perry, and produced under the 146th Managing Board of the Prince. Our theme was composed by Ed Horan, class of 22. For The Daily Princetonian, I'm Lena Kim. Have a wonderful day.